Welcome back to the Leadership Locker, everyone. It's Rich Cardona, your host. And look, sometimes podcasts just don't go the way you think they're going to go. I had a cancellation today and I decided to reach out to a couple people I know who said they'd be willing to be on and one of them was Roberto Blake and he's like I have time today and I'm like are you kidding me let's do this so Roberto is a YouTube expert business builder uh, just just always sharing massive amounts of knowledge on LinkedIn and I met him a couple years ago as you'll listen to on the podcast at Vid Summit and he took the time to talk to me when I was a new creative and we had a really good chat now he is very cerebral uh, he he thinks on a different level than a lot of people and he takes his content creation and his ability to help people very 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 seriously now the reason I say this isn't the direction I expected the podcast to go is because when you'll listen um, I didn't ask a lot of questions he had a lot to say and while I was going to be focusing on passive income and YouTube and his expertise in that matter we actually talked a lot about our relationship with money people's relationships with money and the association of money with value and it ended up being extremely intriguing I am thrilled we had the opportunity and I'm so grateful he decided to join so let's get into it but first but first but first rich cardona media is the sponsor of the leadership locker we film edit and distribute content for you video content specifically and specifically for linkedin to help boost your personal brand my entire business is built off of that and we could not be in a better place right now and our clients are thriving as well so if you're ever interested you could email eliza e-l-i-z-a at richcardonamedia.com Let's get into the episode. Here we go. All right, everyone. I'm joined by Roberto Blake. Uh, I've, Roberto, I've seen you around for a minute. Uh, and I actually ran into you at Bit Summit two years ago, and I was like, that's Roberto Blake. And I had my Canon power shot, and I was holding it. My arm was shaking because we were talking for so long. And you're like, my father was a Marine once I mentioned I was a Marine. And you yeah. probably don't remember this, but... No, you, I think I do. You um, you actually, in Gary Vee's keynote, you asked him um, something similar to what we were talking about uh, previously. And we were talking about leadership and you were telling me about some struggles you were going through at the time. Absolutely, man. And See, it was I actually, crazy. I, I remember. <laughs> so the funny thing was, I was in the complete infancy. Like I was like nothing yet. I was like a pea in, in, in the womb of entrepreneurship, so to speak. And things have changed uh, so, so much since then. And I always want to recognize people who were part of that. And you were a big part. And I still follow and I've met a lot of other people along the way. But I was like, we got to get Roberto on and it's time to talk. And just to refresh your memory, uh, this podcast, it was probably a different iteration when we met, but this podcast is called the Leadership Locker and it is geared towards transitioning service members and veteran entrepreneurs. In actuality, you'll find that much of the things you'll probably say are going to be applicable to any small business owner or creatives. So that being said, I noticed today, and I want to hit you up right about this today, sure. you had a, a Kajabi, I'm not sure what you call it, an award or milestone. milestone. Yeah. Tell us about that milestone and then we'll dig a little bit deeper. So Kajabi is an online uh, platform for business owners, whether you're doing coaching or anything else, e-commerce. And 
they actually are a really great platform, not only because of their software and technology, and this isn't a sales pitch, it's, it's because they actually support their users and they celebrate their users. So they send out uh, when you hit different milestones, when you hit your first $1,000 in sales, they send you a badge and they send you a t-shirt. When you, you hit 10,000, they send you some other stuff, $50,000 in sales, they send you uh, a copper mug. If you're me, you're going to use that for Moscow Mules and they <laughs> send you a badge and so on and so forth. So they send you these different milestone badges. And recently, um, with my online coaching and my digital products, like my YouTube starter kit and things like that, we hit um, about a month or two ago, we hit over $250,000 in sales. And so they sent um, a badge and a backpack. And I had posted this in um, a Facebook group for people who use this for their online business. And I was like, hey, everyone, this is possible in the fall of 2017, I moved my coaching business over to Kajabi. Uh, you know, I don't even have any products that are like 500 to a thousand dollars just yet. I have my membership and I have these like 100, $150 products. And we've done so many sales and helped so many people that we hit $250,000 in sales. Um, and you know, it's been about two and a half years. We're going to hit 300,000 sales by the time we've hit like three calendar years. So like, Hey, keep going, keep pushing and realize that small things become big. So, yeah, I want to encourage people. Absolutely. And that's like, that's the entire premise. Like for me, I'll, I'll be 40 in a couple of weeks. I'm like, Hey, I retired. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I went to corporate and I was not feeling it. And here I am. And I've had some like early success, you know, not nothing yeah. crazy, but it's it's absolutely possible. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. Yeah. So it's funny how you mention on Kajabi, you're like, I don't even, I'm not even charging thousand dollar courses or anything like that. And one thing I've seen about you and your keynotes and meeting you in person is that you don't seem like you are in a rush. I feel like you, you are of the belief that slow and steady wins the race. And I want to give you an example. You have a video from a year ago on YouTube where you're like, how I make $7,000 a month in passive income or something like that. And a yeah. month ago, you have one that says, how I make $18,000 a month in passive income. Okay, like that is huge to the average person. But I think there's a lot of people, and I want you to talk about this, that are in that rush and, and they cannot stomach the slow and steady. And, you know, like, yeah, that's not enough. That doesn't cover this. Or I want more. I want to hit the millions. Why are you that way where you have the patience and the aptitude to just kind of stick it out and just build your audience little by little? I think that I realistically, I think it's because I'm an actual pure and true artist. I've been drawing since before I can walk. My mom has a picture to prove it. And if you were gonna, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an animator. To be an animator, you have to literally, to get one second of animation, you have to do dozens of drawings for just one second of animation. So to even just get one second of a result, if you wanted a minute of animation, you'd have to do hundreds of iterations of a drawing. And you might have in for every one that you want that makes up that second of a frame, that 20 or 30 that makes up second of a frame, you might throw out a couple. So you might have to do 100 drawings just to get one second of animation. You might have to do 1,000 drawings plus to just get one minute of animation and so growing up and knowing that and growing up with Walt Disney and all the other stuff, that's a process that I respect and I understand. I used to play with Legos a lot and I was into the advanced Legos, Lego Technic and stuff like that. And to build anything and to get it to work, you had to go through a lot. I, as a kid, had little things like Domino Rally and I did model kits. I understood 
that whatever it is you're seeing at the end of a finished product is a lot that goes into it little by little, piece by piece. And that, and I internalized that, I guess, and I've always understood it. And so I guess that's part of why I've not been a rush in terms of results. But what I like to do is I like to get faster at the process, knowing that I want to get it done, but I want to get it done right. I accept failure as part of the price and process of success. If you do something that doesn't work out, you at least are armed with the knowledge, hopefully, of why it didn't work out so that the next thing you do is going to not have that flaw in it and it's going to be better. When you're building things, when you literally are building things, like whether it's a model kit or you're setting up Domino Rally or you know any one of your little things that you're building as a kid, if you, if you, if you aren't being discouraged by someone externally, you don't look at failure as this horrible, horrible thing that you're being judged for. You just look at it as, oh, I now know how to eliminate that flaw from the next thing I build. And the next thing I build is going to be awesome and it's going to be better. And it's not going to have that flaw. It's not going to have that chink in its armor. It's going to be invincible. If I, if I screw up 10 times, I have now have 10 ways to protect that thing because I know better now. Money is very gratifying for a lot of people. And I think Billie Jean, uh, Billie Jean is marketing the other, not long ago. He said, money can't buy happiness, but it sure is a down payment. And I, and I, I thought that was mm, kind of funny. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm certainly, I'm in a place where I, I truly believe when and if I'm meant to make a ton, I will, you know, and that's fine. But I'm much more enjoying the process. And what I'm taking away from what you're saying is that being, becoming a more efficient creator a more efficient product producer is more gratifying than if someone offered you a million dollars right this second. It's, it's nice. And it's nice to think of what you would do with it. But for me, I'm literally just going to take a million dollars and I'm going to figure out how to build things. Like <laughs> for me, money is a tool. It's not a goal. It's a nice to have on a scoreboard, but I know that cause I came from nothing, mm. you know, and I, I have a healthy respect for the problems that money can't solve. And I know that that sounds privileged or pretentious to people in 2020, but they're not thinking it through. And that sounds itself heavy handed or condescending, but no, really you're not thinking it through. There are so many examples of, of the fact that mental health is an epidemic in this country, epidemic in the world, epidemic in our era, that if you really think that you can buy your way out of your problems, you're not accounting for the human condition. And I think that when you disrespect the idea that people who might look like they have it better than you on paper still could fundamentally be suffering, you're not accounting for it. It's not about saying, oh, boo, who are first world problems. First of all, you're dehumanizing them because you're allowing the amount of money they have to dictate anything instead of looking at their character and looking at their humanity and just saying that as a human being in pain. And if you think that just because you make more money or you pay your bills or that you eliminate the stress of money, you're not bargaining for the other things that will be introduced in your life for what you'd have to do to get that money. <laughs> and you aren't bargaining for all the things that you've been ignoring because you're focused on your current pain there are so many underlying issues that even if you have financially addressed whatever your struggle is right now, you're not accounting for all the scars that you're suffering uh, financially left you with and that are unresolved because that gets really loud. When you quiet the bill collectors, the voices in your head get loud. Yeah. 
So, so people funny. don't account for that. I mean, um, I think I might be borrowing this from somebody. I don't know who, but I'll just take it for myself or like, oh, I, or, or whatever. But like rich people don't worship money. Poor people do. And again, I know how that sounds, but why do you think I say that, Rich? Because they want what they don't have and they feel like the only path to that is actual money. That's part of it, but it comes down to when you don't have money, and I know this because I used to think this way, you believe that money is this all-powerful thing. When you're poor, you genuinely worship money. A lot of people pretend and they say, oh no, you can be happy with less, and this is, are you? And the answer is probably no, because you don't have the tools or resources to address things that are immediately causing you problems. The first level of Maslow's hierarchy. Those are biological needs. That's why we have to have a healthy respect for money as a tool. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to think of it as a tool and not a goal. We have to think about the purpose that it's going to serve and the function it serves in our lives and what it increases our capacity to do or what it limits our capacity to do. So the reason that poor people worship money is because, again, they put it on a pedestal. It's this all-powerful, almighty thing that's going to make their life better. And what people who are either not struggling or might be well off or even people who are rich and wealthy come to realize is they realize it's limitations. Can I ask you though? What it this can't is, do for them. Yeah. So this is fascinating. A lot of people always say that I didn't know I was poor. So like, when does that get, you know what I mean? Like you, you could say that now, but you didn't know it then, which is why you didn't give a shit that you were, you know, just creating all day and playing with Legos and just having fun. But like Tom Billy, I'm in his impact theory university. Mm. And uh, I got to ask him do office hours with him the other day. And I was telling him about a problem. I'm like, Hey, my job is very high touch, you know, my service. uh, But I, you know, I don't like to be away from my kids that much and all this other stuff. He goes, okay. And I go, I have some specific financial goals for, for the business. He goes, would $7 million an hour solve that problem? And I was like, I was so put on the spot. I was almost embarrassed. And I was like, I've never thought of it. He's like, the answer is no. He goes, you're missing clarity. And, and then he just kind of took it to another level. He goes, here's a spoiler alert. Your kids don't give a shit if you're broke because they don't even know. So what, when, does that, when does that shift happen when you start assigning you know, the values to something that didn't affect you before. When you realize everything that you've been saying no to. The reason that money hurts, and I know this is because I have like um, what someone might call the curse of memory, and I can actually remember (laughs) what it was like when my parents had to tell me no when they couldn't afford something. I remember very vividly right now the pain on their face to say the words no, or we don't have it, or you can't have that, or I'm sorry. I remember what that's like. I remember... And like, you know, I'm a child of divorce. I helped with my three younger siblings. I remember what it meant to my sister that I could actually start showing up for her plays and her dance recitals and her, you know, stuff like that, her performances um, that I could actually show up and just be there. Whereas before I couldn't because it was between that and my nine to five job telling me what I can do and when I can do it and setting the dictates of my time. And so it's about a measure of understanding the control that you don't have. When you look at your groceries and you start realizing 
what you weren't buying in terms of being healthy and what you were settling for. When you start to look at those things, you realize that when you start realizing the compromises you were making on your insurance premiums and what you weren't really protected from and when you said, ah, good enough, when you start to analyze it and say, no, really, this is all I was you know, set for. Or when you think about the fact that it would have been a struggle if something did happen to pay your deductible. Or when you realize that 60% of Americans don't have $1,000 in savings, and then you really consider the fact that if you just have a rough time or a bad night um, and something goes sideways, that your freedom's gone because you can't afford bail and no one you know can afford bail. Like when you think about that, now that's never happened to me, but it's happened to where I had to be the one that somebody could call thankfully and say, oh, wow, I know at least one person that has that and will vouch for me because like, okay, I had a dumb night at the bar, like, you know, or whatever. Or, oh, I got pulled over. I was given a hard time and it like, and they decided that they were going to take me in or whatever. Like, so I was the person who was able to come up with the bail money, like, you know, yeah, for like simple things. Literally, it could be simple things. Yep. You driving without your license, moving violation, you know, things like that. There's mm-hmm. like, people don't realize it is that simple that 60% of Americans don't have the money that they would need to preserve their own freedom if they just happen to have a bad night or make a simple mistake that they won't be able to get the bail. They won't be able to explain not showing up for work. And then they end up in a downward spiral. That's one of the things that people don't realize is that it's not about, it's like the issues with money is not all reduced down. And I know it's popular in entrepreneur talk. It's not, not everything's reduced down to making poor choices in life. It's the fact of having a lack of optimal choices to begin with for a lot of people. Especially so, a lot of people in the South and in rural America, but also people that uh, they think they're making good money, but they don't account for how much it costs to live in the city that they live in. Mm-hmm. You can I, make relatively good money somewhere, but and then you move a, a city or a state over and you're poor. I mean, we just moved down to Wilmington, North Carolina a few months ago because we were in the DC metro area. And oh, Lord. <laughs> my wife was eight months pregnant and we're like, cool, let's just, I, we're like, we got a good deal where we're at now. Like, we just need another, another bedroom, another bedroom. And, and it was almost double the rent. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, goodbye. And, and we came down here and it's very different and, and things are fantastic. But let me move on a little bit. So we're talking about sure. money so much. I don't want to say you don't believe in passive income. You obviously are a proponent of trying to educate people for all the about what the been... reality of it is. Yeah, yeah. But you talk about automated income. Yes, and can... that's the phrase that I prefer to be more accurate than passive income. Explain that to me. So I think um, I think the world is coming to terms with the understanding of an automation now. Would you say that's fair? Yes, very. And that there are things in our life that systems and machines do without our involvement and that there are processes and exchanges of value that we ourselves go through where we didn't have to have human customer service or interaction. Absolutely. And the propensity to desire that more is like never before. So here's what I figured out. And this is basically the thing I preach. You know how right now, like a lot of people are like, wow, I wish I could make $15 an hour. But that would put them at $30,000 a year if they, you know, um, work uh, 50 weeks a year, full-time shifts and everything. And that sounds, that sounds great until you realize that. Let me ask you this. When you spend money on anything, why are you spending money? Why are you giving money to a person or an institution? Why are you exchanging that money? Value. Mm-hmm. Something that you deem 
to have value. Mm. You would not pay more for something than you value it. You would not pay for something more than you value it. Can we agree that like money is exchanged for value? Absolutely. So that means that when someone gets a paycheck, what are they being paid for? They're being paid for value. They're being paid for the perceived value Mm -hmm. of the contribution that they made. The contribution, whether it's labor or not, the contribution. Because remember, our problem right now in a society is that we're equating effort with value when if someone were to do a task or a job for you, but they did not complete it or do it to satisfaction, will you still pay them for it? (laughs) If they did not deliver on the promise that was made, are you going to pay them? Uh, No, and I know we both work with a lot of 1099s and the answer is absolutely not. Like, redo this shit. (laughs) Right. So, whatever it is, whatever it is, regardless of the labor, if you went to a restaurant and they didn't get the meal right or they, um, you gave them multiple opportunities and they said, would you not raise this? I don't think I should have to pay for this and why should I have to pay? But labor was done. Yep. So, you're not paying for labor. You're paying for value in the form of an experience and in the form of a proper meal. Yeah. Prepared the way you asked them to do it. Yep. For your needs. Because if they get it wrong, maybe you have an allergy, maybe your throat closes up. Maybe like, why would you pay for a bad experience? So we make the mistake of making a moral argument about, well, my time, my labor, my this, my that, but it's value. It's value. If it's not done right or if it's not done well. And again, it's the perceived value of it. And the perceived value is based on a lot of things. So what I'm trying to teach people, whether they're business owners, because solo entrepreneurs, a lot of them work 60, 80 hours, but they only are paid based on the results that they deliver on if they're a business owner. So they're not get, there's nobody to write them a check for every hour that they work. If you're an employee, you're getting paid an agreed upon hourly wage, but you agreed to that. But also the value or perceived value you have is dictated by the company and by their ability to do something with that contribution that you made. So here's the problem. If you work for $15 an hour or whatever it is, there's a absolute limit on the value that you can contribute because it's based on time and you've agreed on how much you have chosen to value that time. You have decided, by the way, by taking $15 for an hour, you've decided an hour of your life, of your existence, that you're not spending with your kids, not spending with your wife, not spending on yourself, not enjoying yourself, is worth, what, half of a pair of jeans, Mm -hmm. one meal maybe, five, like maybe three or five meals if you go to McDonald's and eat, you know, bad. If you were me when I used to work for $6 an hour in the mall as a kid, I was trading an hour of my prime youth and health and strength for a Subway sandwich, basically. I was basically trading an hour of my life that I will never get back for a $5 foot long. That's a horrible deal. (laughs) It is a horrible deal. Time-based income is trash. I don't think you mean that. I'm just kidding. So let me ask you this. Is what you're saying is if you put yourself in that agreed upon contract where I am saying $15 an hour of my time is, is, is my value, are you also saying that my value, I can bring it, I can bring it at that $15 an hour job and I could be standing next to the person who doesn't bring it and there we are, we are commensurate in pay grade or salary and yes. I'm stuck. Yes, yes. You, if, you, if you're working for $15 an hour and you do your job two times better than you did a month ago, 
you're not making two times more. If you're two times more efficient at your job, you're producing twice the contribution, twice the value, and there's not twice the reward and output for you because that's the deal. And so that's why it's not appropriate in my mind and proportionate when I realized that that was part of when I moved to the idea of fee structures when I was a freelancer and a 1099 like type guy. And even in aspects of my business, if I trade, I don't really trade time for money. But if I do, it's a lot of money. And if I do, it's more of a fee structure that I know is going to have time required to deliver on what was promised. But I have an understanding of what that time is. And I've charged a rate that I've decided I'm more than comfortable with in that exchange. Usually a rate that's high enough to buy me back time elsewhere in terms of value that can be done that I can eliminate myself from. AKA, I obviously have to charge more than the people I pay to take care of my lawn so that I never have to do that. It's just a a loose example, just a loose example of, oh, that three hours in the sun is um, easier to pay for that and spend that money and then spend my time making more money than that because I charge more and then using that money to buy back my time in some other way. Now, the thing is that still requires time to be put in and this weird ratio. Here's what I'm getting at with automated or passive income because I think we can all understand that the convenient appliance of time-based labor is based on its accessibility and how quickly someone will make that bargain with you because for you, the person providing the value, it's actually a horrible bargain, especially if you have a good work ethic. It's a horrible bargain to trade your time for money. It's a losing proposition if you're good at what you do. And if you improve at any point in time, it's a losing proposition. You will never be rewarded for your efficiency. You will never be rewarded for your improvements, not proportionately. And you'll you'll lose on that. Not to mention that, again, if you're doing it, especially while you're in the prime of your life, you're sacrificing hours upon hours upon hours of your best moments, your best years. And it's worse if you have a family. It's much worse because if you think about what that money relates to and buys in exchange for an hour that you weren't with them, you would not look at a Subway sandwich, a pair of jeans, or a nice purse, or a video game. Let's use a video game. You wouldn't look at a video game and think that having and owning that video game for $60 is worth four hours of not being with your kid. There's no way in hell anyone would make that deal in the real world but we do. You see what I'm saying? Because we don't understand money and we're not taught to understand money and we're not taught this in exchange of value. And we also make the mistake of conflating or interpreting effort as value or labor as value instead of looking at what was produced and what does it actually do and what does it mean and what is it at the expense of? What is the opportunity cost to us? And so when I realized this more deeply and internalized it, I started looking at how to separate time and money in a realistic way because if money is exchanged for value, can I deliver value while extrapolating myself and my time from that process? So the best example of this is what's called like a vending machine. When we go to a vending machine, we put money in and we get the desired value out. And during that time, no one's labor was exchanged, nobody's time was exchanged, and the effort to set it up is minimal by comparison. Okay, so what can we do? And if we think about this, we do it all the time when we use sites like Amazon, when we buy stuff from our favorite people through their Shopify setup. So 
what can we do and how can we take our skills, our knowledge and our experiences and can we productize that in a way now that is scalable so that instead of just delivering it to the one person we can put our hands on or that we can be locked in a room with or what have you, can we give this to as many people who want it as many times as they want it on their time, on their terms at a price that they will agree to? So here's how that plays out. If you trade your time for $15 an hour, for your maximum capacity of healthy work, which would be like eight, eight hours, it's $30,000 a year. But if you were able to build an automation that has $15 in profit, pre-taxes obviously, 24 hours, that's $131,400 a year because I can buy from you whenever I want. You can be asleep and I can buy from you. I got the value I wanted for your $15 thing. Maybe it's a hoodie for all I know, whatever it is, or it's a poster or it's a template or it's a course or it's a spreadsheet. Whatever the value I wanted is that I was willing to pay for. The thing is, if that can happen 24 times within one day, every single day for 365 days, because you did the upfront work to make sure of that. And you put the systems in place to guarantee that. And if the net profit is $15, the delta in that knowledge and that effort versus showing up and just putting in the work and punching the clock is $100,000 in difference because of the exchange rate of the value. That's the difference between being naive to this or not believing in it or thinking it's a get which trick scheme or a scam and not really understanding that this automation is why businesses and why the Fortune 500 companies are where they are and you're not. Is that there is not a company that you probably buy from that in some way, shape or form doesn't make money in a 24-hour cycle, whether human beings do anything or not, like most of them have figured that out. Sales get made whether a human being is there or not. The internet's a store that never closes. And the thing is, it made it accessible more or less for all of us. All of us have the opportunity to play in this game and it's there. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's simple. When you know that this is true and you realize that you're just not part of it, that you're not getting anything out of it, you start thinking about how can I be a part of it? How can I do what they do? How can I get what they get? How can I be part of that economy? So let me ask you this. And this is not even anecdotal. This is real. I have this, I, these great ideas for a hoodie, just like you have on right now. But just like anything else, just like anyone who wants to get into video, just like anyone who wants to start any new venture of any kind that requires a different type of brain power and effort, it's intimidating. But here you are concretely saying you have a choice for 30K to or 130K. What is holding people up from looking with that rationale, what is holding people up from saying, I, I can actually control this thing. I can, I can put my time and energy into a place where value is exchanged at any time, any place, whatever hour, whether I'm sleeping or not. What is the big holdup? The big holdup is the way that they're looking at it and the fact that they are saying that's not for me. They're looking at other people's finish line of that or the middle of their chapter. They're not looking at their humble beginnings because what you'll find, Rich, is most people say, well, it takes money to make money. But they haven't tested that. They haven't tested that. They don't know that that is actually the case because it's like, okay, how much money do you think it takes? Like, for example, how much, how much do you think it takes to start a Shopify store? I think there's Shopify affiliates that you can do it for free. 
You start, some, think, you can start and get the store set up with a trial and make sales at zero dollars. Yeah. So that means as long as you have a concrete plan to where you're going to make that first sale, it's zero dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, when the clock starts, it's twenty nine dollars a month. Twenty nine dollars a month sounds like a lot of money, and it sounds like another bill. It's one dollar a day. So you're on the hook, and you're telling me that you don't think that you can create a dollar a day in value. If you can figure out a dollar a day in value even by another side hustle layered on top of this, which again, it sounds like a lot. It gets, here's, you asked why do people not do this? Yeah. One, most people's skepticism doesn't allow them to check and verify whether or not there's ever been a realistic way to do it. I understand that there are some snake oil salesmen out there. I understand that there are some hucksters out there. I'm not saying there's not, but are you so cynical and bitter as to believe that's 100% of them and no one has ever made money on the internet? ever in a legitimate way without scamming anybody and without being a total scumbucket. <laughs> if you, all right, so if that's the case and there's anybody who's ever done it, is there anybody that's ever done it and been and started from your circumstances? Again, people would have to do their due diligence and would have to say, okay, cool. Now, does that person exist in LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram? Is there any way to ask them questions? Okay, if I can't though, is there any documentation of their history and their journey? And can I literally just go through that? If I can't and I don't have the means to either buy them lunch and get them to hold my hand through this and to give me a pep talk and to tell me how they did it and tell me their story, can I read their damn book and learn? Or can I watch their early beginnings and content and can I figure it out? And can I just say, all right, well, what'd they do in the beginning and what'd they say they do in the beginning? And all right, let me try it. Is there any way to do that? Because again, a lot of people will insist that if somebody doesn't come down from on high and hold their hand and walk them through it, that's impossible for them. They're not giving themselves enough credit to -hmm. actually be capable of of something. So a lot of people's previous experiences, their trauma, their self-doubt, their past failures make them believe that it's impossible for them to do better than they're doing now. They don't believe in their own capacity. And, And in some cases... Sure, the gap between what that person may be in their beginnings and where you are, there might be a gap. Is it impossible to close that gap in your knowledge and your ability and your skills? Just because it takes 30, 60, 90 days, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It's not like you were born knowing how to drive. It's not like you were born knowing how to read and write. Those things were hard and you figured it out. You were a child and it's like, I mean, you fell on your ass 2,000 times before you probably learned to walk and you didn't stop then just because it hurted and it sucked. I was a toddler, have more resilience than you. So... That's the harsh hustle part of it. So realistically, I just think that people devalue success and reduce it to luck to justify their own cynicism and their own fear of failure. I think people abuse themselves by not believing their capacity to do more than they're currently doing. And they also think that asking them to do more seems unreasonable or unfair when the reality is just that what they're doing now hasn't given them what they wanted. So obviously doing the same or doing less will never yield that. There's no logical reason. If you look at the world, the physical, natural, material world, there's no way that less knowledge, less skill, less effort than you currently have will get it done. So you have to look at the value and the potential you have as a human being, as this divine entity of creation, the only thing that can take its thoughts and manifest and build something in the real world. A human being can have an idea and that thing can be brought to life. We're, as far as we know, we're the only things that get to do that. Yeah. So, okay, are you any different than you were three, five, 10, eight years ago or your entire lifetime? If you've been able to grow, evolve, change, adapt and learn new things your entire life, why not now? 
why can't you do better? You always have been able to do better. You know how to tie your shoes. You weren't born with that skill. You know how to read a book, turn on a computer, type. You weren't born with those skills. Why would this thing be so much more insurmountable than any of those? I feel like we're going to have to do a follow-on to this one because of time. But let me ask you this. Sure. And, and next, time, next time I want to talk about the ways we can automate income, even though we've covered, uh, we've covered one example. Sure. Why do you want to help people so much? What is it that you're like, I, I want to teach you how to do this? Where is this fire coming from? Everything that I am is owed to the beginnings of my parents teaching me things I wanted to know. I've always only coveted knowledge. I had the ambition arrogantly as a child to literally become the smartest man in the world, which is absurd. But I literally, all I did was consume books, just feed me books. And when I got to a point to where my parents didn't know how to help me anymore, they just kept giving me bigger, thicker books and finding people who knew how to answer my questions. And they did the best that they could with what they had. And I've always been grateful for that. I have every skill, everything that I'm interested in is that even if I never had a real mentor, I did have someone who was patient with me for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, a day or something to say, here's the thing that I'm passionate about and you're super into it, kid. Um, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you that little nugget. I'm going to do that thing for you because, hey, once upon a time, someone also did it for me. Someone also passed on what they had learned to me. That's why I'm here. You are like me. I want to give it to you because you respect it. You value it. You appreciate it. And all the other kids running around, they don't even care. So it's like, I'm going to give it to you. Knowing that and being so grateful for that is powerful and compelling to me. I'm also just really also adamant and curious about seeing how far people can go. Because again, the intellectual curiosity I have, I'm like, all right, so what if, what if I told someone one thing or if I showed them one thing or if I gave them 15 minutes of advice, what could their potential and transformation be? And what would happen if I hadn't? I'm so fascinated by that. And it's been so amazing. I'm trying to collect some of the success stories within my community over the next year and everything like that, because I'm curious about how many people are at six figures now, because I see these transformations. There are some people I did free YouTube channel reviews for way back in 2016. They had 4,000 subscribers and now they have gold play buttons or sorry, silver play buttons. Most of them like one or two are gold or getting close to gold play buttons. There are people I met at conferences and conventions, just like I met you two years ago, that their lives are completely different from where I left them. And it's me and other people. We don't know the impact of those words, five minutes. There's I don't know where I'd be if there were people who didn't simply literally give me certain books or introduce me to certain things. I'm just so fascinated by people's transformation. But then also, also I, I believe, and one of the reasons I'm passionate about this is also for me, for me at least, I'm very protective of creative people. I was a nerd and I was bullied in high school and college and middle school and uh, most of my first jobs as a, 20 something, like, uh, uh, you know, th there's a lot there. And when you are an underdog and when you have a chip on your shoulder and like, when you think about stuff, um, my dad was an immigrant. He got hazed in the military and he had some things where he was discriminated against, you know? My mom went through a lot of different things. My grandparents, when they came to this country as immigrants, the country was in a very different place at the time. Like, I think about people's stories. And I think about their origins and I think about 
what happens when earnest, hardworking people are armed with the knowledge and the work ethic to do better and to do more than people expect from them and more than anyone could be possible. And it really is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. You know, I think about the creative people in the world and how long and how hard it's been a road to creative people not being starving artists anymore. You know, in a pandemic world, people who understand creative services and understand technology are crushing it right now and they are leading the way in the 21st century economy. We are in a dynamic shift where people who can make things, people who can build things and people who can communicate and people who can use uh, their creative skills in writing, video, graphics, art, all of it are extraordinarily valuable and indispensable in this current economy. And that's a big shift if you really look at where we've come from versus when we grew up, people are like, no, you're gonna, if you're going to be an artist, if you're going to be a creative, you're going to starve. So that's a massive yeah. shift that people haven't really reckoned for. And I want to be known as somebody who helps lay a groundwork and a foundation for making that viable for people. That's the role that I feel I'm here to play. That's my purpose is to give creative people the means to not be starving artists and to finally stand up for themselves and not be bullied and to stand up for their craft and to earn and to earn finally the respect that a doctor or a lawyer gets by being an artist, by being a creative person, by expressing themselves, whether you're a dancer, a musician, a graphic designer, you know, whatever it is, right? The other thing is I also, for again, first generation American and a person of color, I think it's important for people to see themselves in the success that they want and to be able to know that they can go to their parents or their grandparents or their neighborhood or say, no, someone like me can do that. Someone like me has done that and I will be next and I will be as great or greater. You need that. You need to be able for some people like me, I could see myself intellectually or creatively in other people. I can see myself in other people. Not everyone can take that leap sometimes of saying, I see the same mind or I see the same heart. Sometimes they need it to be more on the nose than that. And again, I have nothing against that. So guess what? There, for those people, there should be more people that they can see their success in. I love how many female entrepreneurs I'm seeing coming up and dominating right now as the big brother of two younger sisters, as looking at the opportunities that weren't there for my mother a long time ago. She had the potential, but the technology of her time, the opportunities of her time, the situation she was in, wouldn't have been able to do, but if she was in her prime today, she would have so much opportunity and this unlimited potential. And so I'm, I want to see that. I desperately want and need to see that because it's somewhat tied to my own story. So, I mean, I don't think it's altruism. I think that it's just that like, I'm doing the things that will create the world I actually want to live in. <laughs> oh man, dude. All right. Well, here's, here's my parting comments for you. Number Number one. I am not a reader. It's so funny listening to you talk about how you were a kid and that you couldn't read enough books. Like I am literally the crayon eating Marine that people think about. And I'm like, listening to you, I'm like, man, I need to step up my articulation. Audiobooks and podcasts, <laughs> podcast, my friend. No, I got you, man. But let me tell you something that you may have missed when you were talking about who you protect. I'm living proof that you also protect people who don't even know they're creative yet. 
Because I'll tell you what, man, I thought I was an operations and a systems guy and I was rigid and structured and I had no idea. I've literally, it's so funny thinking back to that moment when we met because I was just this nervous, cringy dude. And I'm going to tell you, I was in for the most pleasant surprise when I realized the creative community was extremely embracing. And I was just like, okay, like the you, the Sean Cannells, the Pat Flynn's and the Shaleen's. And I was like, what? Like yeah. they, they will talk to me after this thing. Like, you yeah. know, and obviously Gary and all those kinds of people, it was just crazy. And I was like, I'm home. And I didn't realize that. But anyway, so yeah, man, you also protect people who don't even know yet that that's where they need to be. And then lastly, yeah. um, as a father of two daughters, not a brother of two younger sisters, I understand exactly what you're saying because whenever my daughter is like, oh, you're making a video or sees me working on or doing any of that stuff. I'm just like, oh, you just wait. Because if you want in on this, like, it's bet, like, let's do this. And it's exciting yeah. because, you know, I mean, I obviously, you know, I served, but dude, some of the best pilots, and, and I don't mean this as a, as a stereotype, but some of the best pilots, obviously, were women. Is like, and we never looked at it like that. They were just like, yeah, a Marine. It, it was just a Marine. Like, I, I, there was no distinguishing. And it was just like, yeah, she's good shit or he's good shit. That's the best compliment yeah. you can get. There's ups and downs to that because it's like, it, it's great that there's like, okay, yeah, you are and you, you're one of us and you're equal and it's your value. But it's not sometimes an acknowledgement of how much harder it was or the story or the fact that that's not celebrated enough. True, true. Uh, absolutely. But um, I love the vision, man. Uh, there's, there's not an ounce of me that doesn't feel all the weight of, of who you actually are behind everything you just said. Uh, so I'm really, really happy. And I think, uh, like I said, like we'll wait a little while, but we'll, we'll tap back into passive income possibilities. And it'll probably be after your next YouTube video where instead of saying this much a month, it's this much a month. And uh, I'll stay in touch, man, because I think uh, I'm just going to have to pull the trigger on this Shopify thing. And I just have, I know I have this really freaking awesome idea. It, it doesn't always have to be like shirts is just the easy go-to example sure. for people. Sure. But like, I mean, me, a lot of my friends, they're doing things with, um, I'll give you an example. Somebody who he didn't think he was a creative either. He's a accountant. He realized that there are like spreadsheet formulas that he has and stuff like that, that like instantaneously make people's lives easier and everything <laughs> like that. And he's selling the digital downloads and he has it behind a paywall. And the thing is, he has it recurring. He has like a membership where it's like he has all these different things and systems that he makes and generates. And if you stay every month, you get access to the new stuff that he releases. Yeah. Um, and he's just like serving it out piecemeal. And it's amazing. He didn't think, and then he's also packaging it really well. And he didn't think that, oh, spreadsheets and organization and templates and docs that like literally do it for you. Oh, people will buy this. And it's like, yeah, it's going to save them time and money and frustration. You realize how many hours of their life go into an Excel document and you're just going to make it, oh, plug this in. <laughs> like, yep. come on. Course, value, man. value. So that's only, <laughs> he probably thinks that because nine out of 10 of us who spend hours on a Google spreadsheet or a sheet and we present it to someone, no one really gives a shit. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, cool. You're like, I spent all these hours on this. This is beautiful. Yeah, but, uh, but he took look, that and he made it a done for you product. And it's like, oh, now this person there, they've got four hours of their life back. They're happy to keep paying for that. Yes, of course. Of course. Well, 
Hey, man, thank you so, so much. Uh, Short Fuse podcast, and you brought it more than I could have even imagined as I was thinking of questions to ask. But uh, I appreciate you. Last thing, where can people find you? Where can people learn from you? Uh, So you guys can hit me up at Roberto Blake in Twitter, Instagram, pretty much all socials. I'm at Roberto Blake. If you want access to my over 1000 videos of YouTube content, um, go check out youtube.com slash Roberto Blake two. That is the number two. And if you ever decide that you want to work with me, you can check out awesomecreatoracademy.com. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. Of course, man. Take care. Did you enjoy that episode? I absolutely freaking did. <laughs> so uh, if you if you took anything out of that, if you have opinions, if you have feedback, if the podcast was good, if the podcast was bad, whatever it is, uh, I'd love your feedback, whether that's in the form of an email, rich at richcardonamedia.com, or if you could go rate and review it, uh, that would mean the most to me. That always helps the podcast continue to do well. We had another month of the podcast hitting its highest point, so I could not be more thrilled about that. So we just continue to grow, and I would love your help in doing so. And ratings and reviews really help move the needle on that. And then obviously I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So if you want to see my video content and what I'm doing there, please check it out at Rich Cardona. All right. Have a great one. See you next week.